You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, good morning. You probably missed it, that my name is Mark, and in a moment, my wife Cheryl will come up. I am still recovering from the thrill to think that I have any responsibility for for this amazing (laughs) human. (laughs) Lay it all at my feet. It's been so wonderful to reconnect with you, Keith, in recent years. I don't remember you as a punk. I remember you as a very thoughtful and uh, kind young man. And to see uh, how well you lead, how well you think, how deeply you love your people, it's been a real gift just to be blessed by that. So thank you. My wife Cheryl and I are here not because we're experts in First Nations communities or culture. We certainly do not in any way want to, want to imply that we speak for First Nations people. My wife and I are here because God dealt with us And she'll tell that story. And invited us into the work that he's doing on this earth, which is a work of reconciling love. The passage that Keith read uh, read from at the beginning, 2 Corinthians 5, has been one of the defining passages of my life. Where Paul says... That because of what Jesus, Jesus has done on the cross for all people, that he's infused into those who have heard his call and said yes to it, he's infused into us a compelling love. The, the, the language and the image is potent. You can't help yourself. <laughs> You were pulled along by this divine love that is so disruptive and healing, you can't help yourself. Paul says that this love is in our hearts, it's spilling out of our hearts, and then he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, and therefore we don't look at anybody from a human point of view anymore. You got a new set of eyes. (laughs) And then very explicitly he says, because God, the reconciling God, the God who loves his creation in the only way a broken creation can be loved, is he wants to reconcile all things. And guess who got recruited? (laughs) Y'all. Y'all. The love of God that you have been a recipient of that is dismantling you even now, even now is tearing away all that is godless and opposed to the kingdom of God and the mind of Christ. He's taking it down. He's taking it down. 
and inviting you in even this morning to the message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, to be called by God and filled with God to join him in the reconciling mission he has on this earth. My wife and I are not come because we're experts, but because we're converts. God had to deal with us layers of bigotry and prejudice. We, we did not think we're there. My wife will tell you that story. In order to summon us and empower us to do uh, what he's doing upon the earth that will be completed in the end, that all things in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, will be reconciled to him in Christ. But guess who he got in on the job is y'all <laughs> and me. Think about the human story. It begins with two people whose ethnicity we never are told. We don't know what skin color they had. We don't know what cultural, I mean, of course, they're created ex nihilo, but you know what I mean, that there's a sense that they must have had a certain shade or tone of skin, a certain way of speech. We don't know any of that. What we know is this couple were in complete oneness with God, and they walked with him in the earthly garden in the cool of the day. And so the Bible opens the human story. Where the Bible brings to climax, not to the end, but to the climax or crescendo of the human story, is with multitudes beyond numbering from every tribe and tongue and nation standing before the unveiled face of God in rapturous wonder, gratitude, and worship and complete oneness with that God. Starts in oneness, ends in oneness. Oh, but what a story lies between. Where it all goes wrong. The way the Apostle Paul describes that going wrong is in one of the places in Romans 8, that everything groans. The creation, think about the fires, groaning of creation. Uh, we are groaning. Some of you woke up literally groaning. And the Holy Spirit groans. And that groaning is the groaning of God toward everything coming into freedom. <laughs> the aching of God toward the restoration of his creation. Well, um, one of the very simple and very hard ways that God invites us into this drama of reconciliation, this message and this ministry of reconciliation, is the simple and hard thing of loving our neighbor as ourself. That is based on, it derives all its power, all of its energy, all of its inspiration from the love, loving of God. <laughs> 
We love the Lord our God with all our heart, strength, mind, and soul because that's how God loves us with all his heart, strength, mind, and soul. We live and bask and that is the center that we keep getting centered in. We live from that place, but then the next thing is out of that, out of the overflow of that, we love our neighbor as ourself. It's simple, eh? I just think of some of your neighbors, though. It's so hard. In the story that Cheryl's about to come up and tell, is really the story of our own conversion and what God did with that. And I don't mean conversion to coming to faith, conversion to realizing that God had asked us to join him in his ministry of reconciliation, particularly with the neighbor that um, the church historically has not done such a great job in being a good neighbor to in Canada, the First Peoples. For you, it's the Okanagan Native Alliance. We just don't have a great track record of being good neighbors. And so, uh, as my wife comes up, really, we have not come again as experts. We have not come as spokespeople. We have not come because we have all the answers about how reconciliation looks like now with First Peoples. We've come because we have a story, it's our story, it's a new story of how we've tried to step into the message and the ministry of reconciliation. When I entered the Duncan Mall for the very first time, everything in me flinched. The smell, the artwork, the benches filled with those people. It was 1995, and we had recently moved to Duncan, the city of totems, or as it was also known, drunken Duncan. I had two toddlers at my ankles and a baby in my arms, and I was scared. I didn't feel safe, and I was angry. Why did I have to live here? We often fear what we don't know, and fear gives birth to anger. I would never have considered myself a racist or prejudice, but clearly I was. Up until then, I had believed all the stereotypes about Indigenous people. I didn't know them, I didn't see them, but I assumed a lot about them. I needed a new story a new way of seeing, a new way of being. And by God's grace and great patience, he gave me both. 
After more than a few years of praying that God would send someone to those people, he finally got our attention. Why do you think I brought you here? He said quite clearly. Once I realized we were the answer to our prayers, we began our saving strategy figuring out how we were going to rescue those people. I eventually came to realize I was the one who needed rescuing. Rescuing from my ignorance, my prejudice, my stereotypes, my racism. As I began to develop friendships with Indigenous people, learn their culture, their worldview, hear their stories, know their hearts, hear their pain, I began to change, to repent, to see as God sees. I realized they had more wisdom and grace and generosity and even faith than I did. My fear gave way to love. I'm going to read a story from Luke's Gospel, one you're probably familiar with, but I'm reading it. Oops, I just lost it. Uh, reading it from the First Nations version. And it's a new translation that came out just a couple of years ago, and it's really quite beautiful. Um, the, the term they use for Jesus in this version is creator sets free. A spiritual leader from the separated ones named Simon invited creator sets free to a meal. So he went to his house, joined the guests at the table. There was a woman in the village, an outcast with broken ways, who heard that Creator Sets Free was eating with the spiritual leader. So she went to the house and brought with her a small pottery jar of sweet-smelling ointment. She came up behind Creator Sets Free and began to weep at his feet. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair. Then she kissed his feet and rubbed the ointment on them. When the spiritual leader saw this, he thought to himself, if this man were a true prophet, he would know who is touching him. He would see what kind of woman this is, an outcast. Creator Sets Free knew what he was thinking and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Wisdom keeper, he answered, say what you will. Two men were in debt to the same person. One owed him 500 horses the other two buffalo hides. 
Neither of them had enough to pay him back, so he released them from their debt. Which one do you think would love him the most? Hmm, I suppose it would be the one who owed the most. You have answered well, Creator sets free, told him. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not welcome me with a kiss, but this woman is still kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has rubbed sweet-smelling ointment on my feet. I tell you, she is forgiven and set free from her broken ways because of her great love. But small is the love of the one who has been forgiven only small things. Creator sets free, looked at her with kindness in his eyes. You are forgiven, he said to her. The other guests at the table began to grumble to each other. Who is this man who thinks he can forgive wrongdoings? Creator sets free, ignored them, and said to the woman, Your faith in me has healed your broken ways. Go in peace. This story is predominantly about seeing. Simon sees a label. Jesus sees a woman, a thankful, repentant, faithful woman, a woman longing for community, connection, to be seen, validated, significant. And this woman sees Jesus, the safe one, the loving one, the one who knows her and accepts her. Simon thinks he knows more than Jesus. If he knew, he thinks. But Jesus does know, and much more than Simon. So he shares the story about the two debtors. Which one loves more? The one forgiven more? But it's a bit of a trick question. When we look at amounts, clearly one amount is bigger than the other. But if we look at percentages, they've both been forgiven 100%. When I think of those early days in Duncan, I see how much like Simon I was. I saw labels. I prayed for God to help those people. And it wasn't until he woke us up, opened our eyes, and brought us to our knees in repentance that we finally got our 100% forgiveness. Jesus says to the woman, go in peace. But where can she go? 
Seeing labels is a common problem for many of us. Removing labels is at the heart of New Story Community. We're a supportive recovery program for Indigenous women located on Keats Island. We provide a program of healing from trauma and addiction while also providing work experience at Barnabas Family Ministries, a retreat center on Keats Island. We guide a small group, three to five women, over seven months as they journey through their trauma, grief, and pain, and find hope and the truth of their identity, both as an Indigenous woman and as a child of God. I want to share a story of one of our women that was part of New Story Community, and actually that's her up there on the screen. Her name is Chelsea, and uh, I have her permission to share the story. We knew Chelsea in Duncan. In She's a Cowichan First Nation, and as a young girl, she was adopted into a Christian family in our church. But even though she was in a loving Christian family, uh, she had childhood trauma and developmental issues, and she struggled. She struggled to fit in. She struggled to be seen. And she struggled wanting to be part of both her biological and adoptive families. And unfortunately, those struggles led her to alcohol and then drugs until she was deeply addicted to heroin and living on the streets. She was on the streets for six years doing whatever she needed to do in order to survive. As we were beginning New Story, her adoptive grandparents reached out to us and asked if there was a place for Chelsea. I confess, again, I saw a label. As much as I wanted Chelsea to have a place to heal, I really doubted whether I had the capabilities to help her. She was beyond what I was expecting. And uh, I wanted an easy start as we were starting this. So I prayed a lot, and I wrestled with God, trying to justify why Chelsea wasn't a good fit for our program. But in my prayers, I continually heard God say, who will love her to health? And so I trusted that voice, and with great fear, welcomed Chelsea. She was our first resident and arrived in September 2021. She had been through a detox program and was only 28 days clean of her six-year heroin addiction. She was angry, and she confessed she did not want to be there and she did not believe in God. But we loved her. We saw her. 
We called out the truth of who she was. And as the days went by, we watched her soften. We, st we watched her start to believe she was lovable. And then she started to believe that God could love her. She started reading her Bible and was excited each morning to tell me what she had read. Six months later, on Easter Sunday, we baptized her in the ocean. And she gave a powerful testimony. Here's a bit of what she shared. Before I came to New Story, I was in a horrible place. I was an addict. I was living on the streets, just trying to survive. I did so many things I promised myself I would never do in my lifetime. That's exactly what drugs do to you. They make you do things you'd never do in your right mind. If I could go back to that day I first used and not use, I would. But I can't change my past. I can only change right here and right now, period. Since coming to New Story, I've learned so many new things. I learned about God again. I learned to love myself. And I learned how to trust people. When I came here, I was nervous because of, because of the way people treated me on the streets. It was cruel. When I came here, I was nervous. I thought because here they knew about my history, they would treat me the same. But they didn't. They welcomed me with open arms. They didn't treat me any different than any other staff. And I honestly think if I was anywhere else, I would have ended up using again. But here changed my life because of this place. I am sober today. Well, at the end of our program that first year, Barnabas asked Chelsea if she would stay on during the summer to provide childcare for their staff kids. She was only eight months clean, but they saw the transformation in her and they trusted their children to her. She thrived. I asked her if she would join my second year and be an intern to help my new women uh, adjust to, to the program. And she did. We were with Chelsea last week. Barnabas again has hired her for the summer to look after their kids. And uh, she's, she's part of the team. She's just coming up on two years clean of heroin. And she's planning in the fall to start working towards her early childhood education degree. In one way, Chelsea's story is remarkable. The transformation that happened in this young woman's life in under a year is breathtaking. And yet, it is a story that shows what the love of Jesus can do. This shouldn't be the exception. This can be the way Jesus uses us to see, to bring hope, to open the door for healing. 
We've now watched God do this for six young women. Do you see this woman? The more I learn about addiction, the more I'm convinced the reason our program is working because it is about seeing. It's about loving. It's about providing a safe place to heal. The science around addiction has discovered that most addictions are rooted in broken relationships, either through abuse or neglect, usually in childhood. Fear and distrust causing deep emotional wounds. The science also teaches us that healing has to be done in relationships. It's relationships that hurt and it's relationships that heal. Relationships that are safe, nurturing, loving. Learning to trust is the first step in healing. When Jesus encounters this woman, he demonstrates the importance of seeing the whole person. He knows her past, but her past doesn't define her. It's so easy to fall into Simon's trap and see a label rather than a person. It's harder to look deeper and see their humanity, to see them as Jesus sees them. But that is the command that Jesus gives to each one of us. We are to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, his heart. It is in seeing the whole person we can begin to restore dignity. We can begin to be a person whom they can trust and hopefully begin the healing process. When I look at this woman, I see tremendous courage. Can you imagine crashing into that party with all those people looking at her, knowing her? I say the same to my women when they come to New Story. You are the most courageous women I know. They know their brokenness. This woman knew that everyone there knew her story. And yet she had the courage to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus, to weep and repent and find hope and acceptance. And Jesus gave her a new story. Simon would never do that. He's too proud. He's broken. He's just afraid or too prideful to admit it. That's easier, isn't it? Do you have any Simon-like qualities? Is there a people group that you have labeled? I admit, I've had many. Or perhaps you yourself have been labeled, and you're wearing the scars of that label. Do you need a safe place 
to remove that label and find your new story? The beautiful thing about getting a new story is that it doesn't erase the old story, but it removes the power of that story to keep defining us. Our new story graduates don't hide their past, but they are very eager to share what God has done for them. My heart leaps every time one of my women says to me, I'm so proud of myself. I just look at them and say, I'm so proud of you too. Here's what Chelsea wrote on her Facebook last week. No matter what has happened to you in the past or what is going on in your life right now, it has no power to keep you from having an amazingly good future if you will walk by faith in God. God loves you. He wants you to live with victory over sin so that you can possess his promises for your life today. Now that's a new story. Mission Creek Alliance, thank you for letting me share my story. Thank you for engaging this important topic. Jesus says to the woman, go in peace. I wonder where she can go. I hope she can come here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, loving Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you see us, that you know us, and you love us. But Jesus, we thank you. You don't want to leave us where we are. You want to keep calling us deeper into your love so that we can be healed so that we can be restored, so that we can be your hands, your voice, your heart to all those that need to meet you. Jesus, come now. Minister to us and call us to the ministry of reconciliation. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, for leading us. We're just going to reset the, the, the front of the stage here. We're going to pull a table in, and we're going to continue uh, the conversation this morning through your questions, so I encourage you to text those in. And uh, we've got a bit of time here to ask Mark and Cheryl some, some questions, uh, and uh, I get to act as the moderator. And so, uh, first off, let me thank you uh, once again for being here to lead us in this conversation. And let me say this as well. Uh, sometimes as a church, 
Uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to, to have this conversation, so last year we, we had a conversation on truth and reconciliation, and we had Melissa Ewing in to kind of give us a framework for understanding this ministry of reconciliation. But in my experience, uh, in my own soul, sometimes there's this hesitance to, uh, to, to, to act because we don't want to cause more harm, right? Well, I think we can all agree. We, we don't want to people who cause harm, and so sometimes that paralyzes the church. We don't know what to do. Uh, and so thank you for, for, for showing something that people can do. Uh, we know that we can learn and listen, and we, we need to do that. That was a lot of what we, we, we were leaning into this last year. Uh, but there are also ways of, of learning to see uh, and to act in loving care uh, that is relationally uh, connected. And so what a, what a powerful image of go in peace, but where do people find peace? And so, so, so all that to say, thank you. Um, you spoke a little bit uh, about, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm not checking my social media feed here, I'm getting questions to my phone. And so, uh, so but, but let me begin by asking this. You spoke about this uh, conversion of the self, why is that so important when it comes to, uh, to, to, to truth and reconciliation? I think our conversion to Christ is the most, um, the central thing, the, the, the great drama of the completion of the human story. But most of us who have had that conversion experience know that God, uh, what awaits us is many conversions. Conversion of our attitude toward money, conversion of how we enter and do relationship, conversion of um, a whole list of attitudes. And this is a lifelong process. So. I think that we identify those parts of ourselves. I think there's a Holy Spirit discernment. But we identify those parts of ourselves that are simply not aligned with the heart of God. And one thing we can say with great confidence as we read Scripture, especially as a story unfolds towards its kind of climax in every tribe, tongue, nation, is God is not racist. And he wants to align our hearts with his heart. So to the extent that we can identify this labeling that Cheryl talked about, we are the, our conversion in that attitude of the heart. That's actually maybe the better language. Paul talks about the renewal of the attitudes of our heart. I think he's talking about ongoing conversion of the character, the ways of thinking, the ways of seeing that we're going to need throughout our entire lives. And to me, I don't think conversion is too strong a word for it. I need to literally change my mind about this. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, so a, a question has kind of come in, and obviously there's a number of questions that overlap, and so, uh, so uh, allow me to kind of try and uh, synthesize a few of them. Uh, but uh, trying to deal with this sense of the, 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 the harmful past that the church has played when it comes to relationships uh, with uh, well, you know, a break of relationship uh, with indigenous people. Um, the question becomes uh, here, and I'm trying to pull it out because we've got a few statements and questions, which is fine. It's sometimes framing the question, but it's too long to read. Um, uh, and so, so it says, we, we know that residential schools have caused generational trauma, uh, uh, which uh, so, uh, much has happened at the hands of church and church leaders. 
So how can we expect indigenous peoples to feel safe in church spaces, especially where maybe some public repentance has not happened, but maybe even I would say even where there has been some kind of acknowledgement or public repentance? How can a, a church become a safe place? Uh, this idea, where will, where will this woman find peace? When we started our, our ministry uh, with the Cowichan people in Duncan, we did, we went to them more than expecting them to come to us. And we started a children's ministry on, on their land. And with their permission. With their permission, yes. They, we asked them and they, they welcomed us. And indigenous people, their children are, are very, very <laughs> of great importance to them. They're highly regarded. And so when we would love their children, we, we won their hearts. And as we built the relationship there, they felt welcome to come and join us. And so that's one way. Another way is, is make your space um, use some of their artwork. It, 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 it really does touch them if they walk into a space and see some of their artwork. They know they're welcome. Yeah. I'm I, th I think we did this after you had left uh, the church in Duncan, Keith, but uh, increasingly, and this is all before the TRC it started in 2009, finished their work in 2015, this is all prior to that, but I began to invite indigenous elders, indigenous wisdom keepers, uh, anyone who was a chief of the Cowichans at the time, I would invite in, Christian or not, and I would uh, interview them, if they were, especially if they're not, not a Christian, a non-Christian chief. I'd just interview, what, what, can, you, can you help us? Um, I invited many Christian indigenous people to come, often in regalia, and, and sing in their mother tongue a song that was known to us, a melody maybe, or it was drums, so maybe it was a bit changed. Uh, so we started to basically decolonize and we started to certainly contextualize how we talked about our own faith journey. Now, you can imagine going back 20 years, I, I took some heat for that in a little Baptist church. <laughs> I wish I'd done more, not to irritate people, but it was so incarnational and especially for the indigenous community. Like they began to feel safe. They began to feel at home. And so I honestly think in this story that Jesus, um, Cheryl read and, and um, that Jesus, of course he, Jesus, this woman comes in and starts weeping on his feet and her hair and it's sort of weird and she does have a reputation. And of course Jesus knows that that's offending the religious people. <laughs> and he doesn't care. Now, I'm not saying don't take a don't care attitude, but there's a sense where what is going to be this sort of, how is Jesus going to play this scene? For whose sake is he going to make it safe? And he chooses that woman. And I think that we start to think, I think your church is at a place where actually um, 
Indigenous people would love to come in and start telling their stories, start playing their music, uh, indeed the artwork, etc. So really it's kind of like, what would make you feel at home? <laughs> Splash in a bit of that, not in a token way. Great, so this is a connected question, and maybe you've touched on it, but I'm going to read it as it comes in. It says, how would you approach trying to spread the gospel to indigenous individuals when they were raised with and or feel a deep connection to their own culture's religious practice? So the relationship between indigenous spirituality and... Yeah, it's, it's a complicated question. We have to honor their, their culture. One of the things I have been blown away with in, we now live in Calgary and I'm involved in three different indigenous communities there. There is way more Christian faith on, in these communities than anyone would believe. They have a problem with Christians and they have a problem with the church, but they have a deep faith and usually in Jesus and so uh, You begin by The conversation and the relationship you don't go in with Trying to convert but you go in with wanting to get to know where are they at and then grow it from there a quick story, when I was um, beginning the journey in Duncan, I, I'm always kind of overshooting, you know, I've, I'm, I'm full of kind of like, let's take the biggest mountain sort of thing. So I thought, uh, I'm going to not just try to bring the church along, I'm going to try to bring all the churches of Duncan along. <laughs> and, um, and this didn't go well, but... Um, <clears throat> But I remember one conversation in the ministerial, and this lovely Baptist pastor said to me, Mark, I'm willing to, um, I'm willing to, to attempt this with you, but can you promise me now that we'll never, uh, I'll never be asked to do a, a sweet grass ceremony or a smudge? And I, I said, I, I, I don't think I can promise you anything. And I didn't even know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, uh, and still have this very dear um, Christian indigenous friend, and I went to him and I said, what, what, is, what is he talking about? And he went, uh, suddenly bolted out of the room, went downstairs, came upstairs, and he had a sage or sweet grass, I don't remember, and he lit it and did a smudge right there in front of me. And, of course, uh, I think it must have been sage because it smells like he's just smoked a joint, right? Like it's, it's, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, what, what just happened? He said, oh, you know, we would do this at the beginning, say, of any meeting uh, where we actually have to purify our motives and purify our thoughts. And that smell will linger. It'll linger in your clothes. You actually waft it over. It'll linger in your hair. It'll linger, linger in, the, in, in the room. We'll smell it throughout the entire meeting, and it will be a reminder if ever we're tempted to act in bad faith, lie to one another, deceive each other, um, misrepresent what really is going on. If we're ever tempted to act in this, in this encounter in bad faith, the smell of 
the lingering smell will remind us, no, we have taken a commitment to purify our thoughts and the motives of our heart before God. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very much a God has seen, God has bears witness. And I thought, I need to start doing this at my elders' meetings. <laughs> like, honestly, if we understood the, the, a native understanding of a lot of the ceremonies, traditions, our fear, our misgiving, our sort of think, thinking that this is somehow uh, some, some paganism would dissipate pretty much instantly. And we'd see this is a beautiful, actually kind of Old Testament way where they used a lot of fragrance and burning and ceremony to actually enact something in the human spirit. And we have encountered, we have a few, but very few indigenous ceremonies that we have, uh, we, we no longer feel for the vast majority that somehow we're compromising our faith to, we don't do them because we're not indigenous, but we participate in them because actually they, they're kind of beautiful. Yeah, that's By the way, that's what I just gave you. Took about ten years of of, of doing good theology to get to. <laughs> that's good. So there's a, a question here, and I'm going to try and summarize it. Uh, but it, it's dealing with this idea. We talk about truth and reconciliation, but simply telling the truth doesn't necessarily lead to reconciliation. There's multiple steps, and so the question revolves around maybe the role of repentance and reparations. Uh, in that, so if you want to speak to that or, or what, you know, what do you know about that journey toward reconciliation? Just saying something doesn't bring reconciliation. I, I know you have a ton on this, and part of what's beautiful is I'm like way up here, and she's down on the ground, and so feet on the ground. Feet on the ground. I'm always, yeah, yeah, flying in the clouds. Um, so this truth and reconciliation, we, basically there's been lots of versions of this, especially trying to solve societal um, uh, you know, uh, breakage or rupture of huge. So, so Canada based the TRC mostly off the South African model. And the insight of the architects of the TRC in South Africa is that there will be no real reconciliation unless we actually are, are tell the truth about what happened. We can't sort of whitewash that thing, pretend, and just let's be friends. Now, what happened in South Africa is it was a government-led movement, the TRC, and they offered amnesty to anybody who was a perpetrator, and that, I won't go into all the definitions of that, but anybody who had caused harm in a, a malice of forethought way. They offered amnesty, in other words, we're not gonna prosecute you under the law if you come forward and tell the truth. What that did is it actually, um, it, it, uh, many, many people who had done terrible things came forward and told the truth. Canada was not a government-led action. It was actually the indigenous people who took the class action suit, um, settled in 2008 for residential school and used a huge portion of that money to launch the TRC. So it's from the native people and there was no government backing behind it and there was therefore no incentive or um, pressure on anybody who would say architected, ran or done criminal things in 
residential schools to come forward, and nobody did. So what's happened in Canada is that nobody came forward and said, this is the truth. I mean, the indigenous, over 6,000 indigenous people told their story, and it was not corroborated by a single person who had somehow been an architect or run a residential school. So imagine that. Imagine some painful, horrible thing has happened to you, and you're telling the story of the, the thing done, and there's the person who did it sitting there with their arms crossed and never says a word. And one of the reasons right now I think the TRC is a bit stalled out is that attempt at truth never really happened. And I don't think anybody's, I, don't, I have not met many indigenous people that want us to keep apologizing. That's not their heart. What they, actually, I've met many that you just say, I'm sorry, and they begin to weep. Because they just want somebody to say, we did stuff we shouldn't have done. We believe you. So the truth thing is not some, I mean, don't try to understand this. this is, I know this thing gets politicized and all that sort of thing, but it, it comes down to, do you see this woman? <laughs> do you see this person? Do you understand what they've been through? Do you understand even though you maybe didn't do it, that there was a whole systemic way that now you're at least a beneficiary of a way of, um, the way society's operated that has in, indeed caused some of the harm, just own some of that. And we can't really move on until we own some of that. Yeah. Did you want to add to that, Cheryl? No, no, it's okay. Um, I, I, I'm mindful of the time, and I want to wrap up here in, in five minutes, and so, uh, but I, I want to ask this one question, then I would like to ask a question about News Story uh, as well. Uh, and so I, I'm going to read this one because uh, this, this is good and important. So it says, last year we also heard about reconciliation. Uh, what can we expect to be different with follow-through this time? I'm thinking specifically of land acknowledgments, which uh, some other Alliance churches do as a first step to, uh, toward reconciliation. I'm also thinking of our need to speak with and listen to elders from the Silks Okanagan First Nation. Uh, and so, good, good question. So uh, maybe at the, so there's some suggestions here, but so I think that this one's for me a little bit uh, because yeah, this one's not on you. Uh, so what can we expect to be different uh, with follow through this time? Can I just maybe just react honestly to this moment? The the question sort of assumes that nothing has been followed through on, so uh, that's not quite uh, uh, fully true. But need to own kind of a, a sense of this. So as a leader, one of the ways that I want to see us walk through this, uh, this, this important topic uh, is wisely. And sometimes wisdom takes time to develop. <laughs> uh, and so, so I think that we're, we're in this for the long game. This is not a quick fix. It's not a one and done. Uh, but really important to ask the question, okay, we've, we've had the conversation. Now what can we do? And what are we doing as a church? And so let, let me give you my theology of the church. The church is us, it's you, uh, it's you and I. So when I think of some of the steps that have been taken this last year, I think of the ones that I've been part of with people in our congregation. Uh, I'm thinking of a small group that I'm connected with, and we, we read a book called We Get Our Living from the, like Honey from the Land, like Milk from the Land, I can't remember the title, but it was written by a Silks uh, First Nation person speaking about their history. 
Um, and we discussed that as, as a group. And so I, really my encouragement to you as a, as a, as a church, as, as the church, as, as small groups as you gather to, to talk and, and, and pray about these things is that, that we're doing something ourselves. Um, and so, you know, that's where I want to point you to the questions we have in the last talk. We want you to continue the conversation and to read the resources that we have there. Uh, another piece uh, as a church that maybe you, you, you're aware or not, we do have a land acknowledgement on our website. Now, it's on our website, so this is not necessarily solving any, any problem, but here's, here's the challenge. Sometimes uh, just putting something on your website or even saying something in your service doesn't capture the heart and the relationship behind what we're after. And I think reconciliation is highly relational, and that's the point. And so I think that there are some things that we can do in the days ahead as a church that we continue to learn. And Mark, you gave some great examples earlier that, that I heard. Uh, and church, I think we can expect those in, in the year ahead. Uh, but let me call us to, to a relational, incarnational uh, seeing of people, because that actually has way more power uh, than, uh, than simply putting something on a website or even saying something at the beginning of the service. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't a place or a role for that. Uh, and so, but I think what I'm calling us into is the wisdom of we're finding our way and we're doing that together. And so um, I'm sure I could speak a little bit more about that, but uh, this isn't, uh, I'll have time to talk lots. You've heard lots from me. So I want to ask a little bit about, uh, and this maybe can be our, our wrap-up question, uh, a little bit about New Story. And so in New Story, there is this, uh, this community uh, where you, you're leaning in and, and helping in a real practical way. Uh, how can we uh, support the work of New Story? Awesome. Well, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. Uh, pray. Uh, we start every September, and the first three months are brutally hard. Uh, a lot of our women are coming from northern Ontario, strangely enough. That's where God has just been bringing the women from. And so it's a huge, huge thing for them. Some of them have never left their reserve to travel across Canada, come to a little island in BC, and live with a bunch of white people. It's, I mean, they are so create, courageous, but they need prayer, and we need prayer to know how to, how to walk with them. So the prayers first finances, just plain and simple, it's expensive. You can mass market uh, healing ministries, but it's not going to work. It's, it's got to be intimate. It's got to be small, and, and that's costly. Our goal is never to have more than five or six women at a time but we want to multiply, and we're already in conversation with a, a, a camp in Alberta that wants to start a new story. And so we want to have pockets, and hopefully right across Canada, of small communities walking in a healing journey with, with a small group of women. But that's a lot of manpower and a lot of resources. And so in God's economy, it's not much. In in my budgetary mind, it seems a little overwhelming. So we, we need partners. And, and the third way is just partner with us. We have a, a monthly newsletter. I get the women to write little blurbs, tell their story. And uh, 
And it's, it's just delightful because they get into your heart as you partner with us. But we also are looking for people that, that want to join us to share some of their expertise, uh, resources, uh, come alongside, advocate, promote, and uh, join us in this journey. Uh, and, and so that's great. So let, let me just encourage you. We have a, a QR code uh, on, on the screen that you can, you can give today uh, if you'd like, or we'll send this out in our e-bulletin as well uh, next week uh, on Thursday. And uh, if you want to take some time to prayerfully consider how you want to partner with New Story Community, we want to call you to that because uh, we believe in the work. Uh, we believe uh, that Jesus loves the people that you minister to. And this is just a real practical way uh, that we can lean in. You can also sign up for their newsletter at the, at the, the link on the, uh, on the screen, which we will also uh, send out. If you do decide to make a do donation, please just make sure that you're selecting New Story Community uh, when you make that donation, so we make sure it goes to them and not to the, uh, uh, the staff hot tub fund uh, that we're building at the church. No, we would not do that, come on. We are good stewards, uh, uh, and we, we give so that we can see the glory and the story of Jesus. Uh, in our city and the world beyond. And so thank you, Mar Oh, yes, you've got some... Yeah, I brought some little bookmarks if you want to tuck one of these in your Bible. And every time you open your Bible, you see us and you pray for us. I would be thrilled. So, so thank you, Mark and Cheryl, for being here to lead us. Can we give our appreciation to them? Let's sit here. Uh, let me call. You're going for lunch now, right? Well, we've got you take home one of these. Uh, we've got the questions that we want you to discuss and a number of resources to follow up with uh, afterwards. Let me call you that. Why don't you stand, and I'm going to send us out with the benediction. Um. As you go from this place, <laughs> you go as y'all. <laughs> we have been invited to be God's people of reconciliation with our neighbor, whoever our neighbor is. And so, go in the power of the Holy Spirit and go in his peace. Amen.